Amen. All right. Um, well, man, I'm excited to be here this morning. I, uh, man, I just, I love the words to that song, and I, I mean, it was just so beautiful to hear uh, this congregation just singing it out and uh, just praising the Lord with that. And uh, it's my prayer for us this morning that that's not just words to a beautiful song, but it's our heart this morning that that we would truly desire God to call us out upon the waters where our trust is without borders. Those are scary words when you really stop to think about what you're singing and what you're saying about God, just take me deeper wherever you want to lead me. I am going to follow. How many of us really believe that? We're going to put that to the test this morning. Today, I have a message for us. We're going to kind of step out of our First Thessalonians study uh, this morning, but this is kind of a Rogue One or solo story to Mark's Star Wars series of First Thessalonians. It's a it's a First Thessalonians story, um, but it's not from First Thessalonians. We're going to look at the life of uh, Paul and his investment in Timothy and his encouragement in Timothy. Now, Timothy was highly involved in uh, the ministry that Paul had uh, in First First Thessalonians. We even saw, uh, even as early as last week, but uh, in First Thessalonians three six that. Timothy had now come from us, uh, from us to you, fr- to us from you, and that he had brought good news of your faith. So Paul was, uh, Timothy was instrumental in the ministry that was going on there in Thessalonians. And so we're going to look at um, this relationship that Paul and Timothy had and the encouragement that Paul gave Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 1. And we're going to start there and uh, look at this uh, story and this uh, letter that Paul wrote to Timothy um, at the end of his life. Um, Starting in verse 3, it says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Let's pray real quick. God, we just thank you for this word. We thank you for the um, letter that you put on Paul's heart to send to Timothy. And God, I pray that it would be an encouragement to us. God, that we would be just like Timothy, to fan into the flame the gift that you have given us and to live out the holy calling that you have placed on all of our lives. Not because of what we've done or how we've earned it, but because of your own purpose and grace. So God, allow this message to come from you and not from me. God, I pray that it be useful for this congregation. God, that you would help us to hear what we need to hear and to put into practice what we need to put into practice. God, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this was a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Timothy and Paul, they first uh, came together on Paul's first missionary journey as he went in, uh, through um, uh, through Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and he came to a town of Lystra. And Lystra was where Timothy lived. Uh, his mother was a Jew, and his father was a Greek. Um, but his mother and his grandmother were, were strong in the faith and probably taught him the scriptures uh, from early on uh, in his life. Um, but it was here in Lystra that was a really an amazing thing that happened. Um, Paul was, was there ministering in Lystra, and the people there of the town just turned against him. And it says that they stoned him to the point where they thought he was dead, and they drug him out of the town and left him for dead. Just left him out, out of the city thinking he was dead. But the disciples came, and he was still alive, and he, they, they nursed him back to health. They went on to the next town, and he continued to minister. He continued to share his faith. They thought he was dead, but he goes on to share the gospel in another town. But that didn't stop Paul. It says in Acts 14, 21, he says, and he returned to Lystra, the place that he just got whooped and left for dead. He said, no, I'm going back there. And look at Paul's words. It says he, he returned to Lystra to strengthen the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and letting them know that it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. See, this is the, t the, the testimony of a follower of Jesus that Timothy first got to come in contact with. It's probably during this first uh, journey of Paul that, that Timothy and his mother and grandmother came to know the Lord. Um, <clears throat> and so Paul continued on in his missionary journeys. And about a year or two later, he returned uh, to Lystra. And, and at this point, Timothy had matured and he had, the church had recommended him to travel with Paul. And so they, they laid hands on him and they prayed for him and they sent him out with Paul. And he became one of Paul's closest adversaries that, that was just, he was traveling with him everywhere he went. We see that he was at work. His first commission was to go to Thessalonica, as we've been seeing in 1 Thessalonians. Um, but then he was even pre, he was present uh, in the preaching work in, in Corinth, as we see in, in 2 Corinthians 1, 19. Um, and he's even heard of during the apostles' ministry in Ephesians, in Corinth. And he was uh, with Paul when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans. And he's mentioned there in Romans. And uh, he was also with Paul when he traveled to Jerusalem in Acts 20. Uh, and he was uh, with Paul and, and working with Paul when Paul was even a prisoner, and he was writing the letters to Colossians and, and Philemon and Philippians. And so um, he had this relationship that, that was, was ongoing, that he was able to, to work with Paul. And it came down to um, this second letter. This was really the second letter that he wrote to Timothy was the last known writing of Paul that we have. And, and it was um, Paul's last uh, recording that we realized, that even in 2 Timothy 4, 6, that Paul suggested that this um, was probably during his second imprisonment uh, where he was un, uh, set to be executed under Nero. And his, his, uh, his work on earth was, was done. He saw it coming to, to a close. Uh, he, he even stated in, in 2 Timothy that he was going to be poured out like a drink offering. And so Right before he was set to leave this earth, he wanted to give one more encouragement, one more admonition to his faithful servant, Timothy. And so this is the letter that we have um, 
that, that, that he wrote to Timothy. And so starting in verse 3, I want us to just kind of look at this and uh, see what his encouragement was and how we can uh, glean from this uh, today. And he says, I thank God in whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that your joy, that, that we may be filled, that I may be filled with joy. See, Paul remembered Timothy's tears. Maybe this was even at this uh, imprisonment that Paul was at as he was being taken away and knowing that maybe this was the time that, that his imprisonment was going to lead to his death. And there was, there was a heartfelt sorrow that they, they truly loved one another and they cared for one another. Paul saw himself as Timothy's father in the faith. He always mentioned him as his, his son in the faith or his uh, dearly loved son, even though it wasn't his, his blood son. It was his, his, uh, his faith son. He was there to mentor him. To, he was his protege. And he had this, this neat relationship with Timothy. And Paul prayed for him constantly. Malchus was encouraged by that and challenged by that. Of who, who am I praying for constantly, night and day? Who is that, that Timothy in my life that I just can't stop but praying for? Is there a Timothy in your life? Is there somebody in your life that you are pouring yourself into and saying, God, I pray that you would move in this uh, person's life, that you would change them, that you would pray for them night and day. We need to be men and women who are praying for those who are our spiritual children in the faith. And so we need to look at four things that are here that, that we must do to fan the flame of our faith, as he encouraged Timothy to do. The first thing I want us to see here is that we must have a sincere faith. We see here in verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. <clears throat> From... Um, 3, 14, and 15, we can learn that from infancy, Timothy had been instructed in the Old Testament by, by Lois and Eunice, his mother and grandmother. He knew the word. He had been trained in the word, and he knew that there was um, faith in his uh, mother and his grandmother. But he said, but I also see that there's a sincere faith in you as well. He was sure of this. And see, many of us, we got to understand that we've got to move on past our mother's faith. How many of us in here had a, a strong mother or grandmother, somebody in the faith that really helped us to understand who it was that, who raised us in, the, in Christ? Man, that's awesome. That's so good. But it's so important to have those in our lives, those, those people, those spiritual parents that can shepherd us and teach us the word and help us to see that. But there's got to be a point in everyone's life that we don't just live on our mother's faith. And, and if, we say, if we were somebody to come to you and say, man, why are you here this morning? And say, well, that's kind of how my parents raised me. Well, that, that's not a good, adequate answer. Because we can't live on our parents' faith. We've got to allow that faith to become our own. That we've got to own our faith. We've got to have a sincere faith. We've got to allow that faith to be sincere in us. So sincere, the word sincere in the Greek means unhypocritical or genuine or the literal senses without play acting. It's not this, this inauthentic, hypocritical faith that we just kind of play like we have faith, but it doesn't really live out in our lives. We're not just playing Christians. We're not play acting. We, we have an unhypocritical, genuine faith. And see, this was contrary because in the letter to 2 Timothy, um, Paul um, names out seven different people who had abandoned him, who had deserted him, who, who said they had faith, but they turned to false truths or to, they, they loved the world too much and they, they just went off to the cares of this world or 
where they, they were fearful of persecution, so they just turned their back on, on Paul. And so here he is, Paul, knowing all these people have deserted him in his last hour, but he knew he had a faithful, sincere faith that he found in his um, follower, Timothy. <clears throat> See, the alternative to sincere faith is circumstantial faith. Sometimes we have circumstantial faith. We follow as long as it's convenient and it suits our purposes. But so often we, we need to have a faith that, that lasts, a faith that's sincere. The circumstantial faith says what's happening now, what I'm feeling now, determines what I believe for now. And so often we, we have this circumstantial faith that it's just built on our circumstances. As long as things are going my way, I'll love Jesus. But as soon as things aren't happening the way I'd like for them to happen, man, I'm bailing. I'm out. As soon as I have a better option, as soon as, there's, uh, as, soon as the fish are biting, man, I, I'll be in church, but I'm, I'm out on the lake. You know, we have this, this inauthentic faith at times. And so Paul is, is challenging him to say, I know that you have a sincere faith. And so we've got to build on this sincere faith. So what is a sincere faith? How do we know if we have that in us today? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the conviction of things not seen. And then in verse 6 in Hebrews 11, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith is a confidence that God is who he says he is. And he will do what he says he'll do. So if we're going to have faith in him, we've got to know who God is who he says he is. And so how we get to know him is we've got to know him in his word. We've got to know him intellectually. We've got to know who God is and what the word says about him. That's why it's so important for us to be in the word each and every week, each and every day, knowing God. We, we can't place our faith in somebody we don't know. And so we've got to know Christ, but we've got to not just know him intellectually. We got to know him intimately. We've got to know his heart. We've got to know his passions. It's, it's one thing to know Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength intellectually. I can know that as a, as a fact, as that's what God wants from me. But there's another step into knowing that intimately, to know why, why does God want that from me? What is he asking of when he's wanting that? What, am I wanting, what is God wanting from me intimately and in my heart? What is he wanting to know? But then it's not just enough to know him intellectually and, and intimately. We've got to know him experientially. Um, it's one thing to know about starving children, but it's another thing to know about going and seeing them and, and seeing what starvation smells like and what it feels like. There's another thing to experience something apart from just knowing it. And so we've got to experience Christ. Have you, have you had the experiential knowledge of knowing Jesus, of, of knowing that he, who he says he is, and putting that to practice, putting that to the test and saying, God, you say you'll do this. I'm going to put that. I'm going to trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And I'm going to experience you in my life. And the things that we've prayed for, that we've seen God move, that we've seen him at work. And we've experienced his moving. Not just that we know he moves. And he, he's moved in other people's lives. So I'm sure that he does that, right? But, but do we have that experience for ourselves? Do we know him? Because when we see and we know him, then we'll see that he's the perfect father. And as we see in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, it says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts your, to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who asks him? 
See, a perfect father doesn't always give us everything we need. I just happened to have a conversation with my children yesterday about device time limits. How do you think that went over? I didn't have this conversation with them because I hate them. I don't like them. I care for them and I want the very best for them. And I don't want them to be addicted to these little things that they stick in their face and they miss out on the whole rest of the world. I, it was a loving act that I'm wanting to restrict them. But that didn't feel like that at, at, at the time. So at times we, we have these, these places, these things that we go through. A, a child being taken to the doctor and getting his tetanus shot, he's not going to feel like that's love at the moment. But you ask him 10 years later, was that a loving act that your father did? Yes. Sometimes our father doesn't give us what we want or what we think we need. But he always is there for us. He always is a perfect father. He knows exactly what we need when we need it and how we need it. And so when we know that he has our best interests in mind, we can trust him and we can depend on him. <laughs> Life lesson that we can learn from this is you'll never surrender to anyone you do not trust. And you'll never trust anyone you do not know. So get to know him. Know who he is and who he says, what he says he's promising he's going to do. And then we've got to understand that we've got to be able to differentiate between God's promises and our own expectations. Because I think sometimes we expect God to step in at times. I think we have expectations that we place on God, but that's not necessarily what God promised. God never promised um, that, that he was going to keep bad things from happening to us. God never promised that he's going to heal every sick or every disease. God never promised to reverse the consequences of our sins. But what did he promise? He promised that he would always be there. He said, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will make your path straight. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, the Lord God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But to take heart, I've already overcome the world. See, the life lesson that we got to realize here is that God never promised to deliver us from our circumstances. He promised us to deliver, deliver them through them. And see, he's going to see us. He's going to be everything we need in the moments that we need him. We can't look at God through our circumstances. We've got to look at our circumstances through God. We can never understand. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life throws us curveballs, but we never saw them coming. But that doesn't mean God's changed. That doesn't mean God isn't loving. God doesn't care about us. God loves us. And so we've got to understand our circumstances through the lens of God. And so as we move on, because Paul's saw that Timothy's faith was sincere, he was then able to say to them, he said, I know that you have a sincere faith, so for this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so we need to see this, that we must put our gifts to use. See, Paul saw that Timothy had a sincere faith. He had a, a genuine faith that was the real deal, that he wasn't going to abandon God no matter what. He was on fire for the Lord. He says, so for this reason, I remind you, fan into the flame the gift of God. He says, for this reason, because I see that you have this faith, put it to use. Trust God to use you and your gift. We see in 1 Timothy 4, if you look at the life of Timothy, uh, it reveals to us that God had given, perhaps, Timothy the gift of teaching. 
But at times, he lacked the confidence to use this gift. He was often timid. He was often uh, afraid to step up or step into those roles of being the teacher, of using the gift that God had given him. And so Paul was seeing that his ministry was coming to a close. Paul was seeing that maybe this is the end for me. So somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to teach. Who's it going to be? Timothy's Timothy. I got to remind him. I got to help him fan into the flame the gift that God has given you. And so fan into flame means, this is literally to cause, to blame, blaze again, or to keep at full flame. So what happens when you leave a fire alone? What happens? It starts to go out. It starts to, 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 to get dim. And so you have the little embers there. And so what do you got to do to fire up the fire again? You put some fresh logs on it. You start fanning it. You start blowing into it. You start getting the, the embers to, to get white hot again. This is not him saying um, just to get all passionate for Jesus. This is him saying, you have a gift, so use it. When you you leave the embers, when you leave a fire alone, it just kind of goes out. How often are you and I using the gifts that God has given us to be on fire for him, that, that we are, we have times in our lives that we are, it's necessary for us to be dependent upon the Lord. Unless God comes through, we're sunk, we're lost, we're without hope, we're treading where feet may fail in the ocean's deep, where waters are, I mean, we're on the, the, the waters of faith. How often are we depending on and trusting in and relying on God and his gifting in us to come through for us. We've got to fan into the flame the gifts that God has given us. As coals need a fire need to be stirred up to keep it from dying out, so Timothy needed to constantly exercise the spiritual gifts God had bestowed upon him. Timothy didn't need to add anything else extra into his life. He already had everything he needed. He just needed to stir it up. God's gifts must be used if they are to reach their, their full potential. We've got to use the gifts God's given us. The same is true for you and us. Are you using the gifts that God has given you for his glory? Do you even know what they are? Do you know what the gifts are that God has given you? What does your flame look like in your life? Are you a a raging fire? Is there just a small little flicker of an ember in your heart? How are you using the gift that God has given and putting in you for his glory. See, we've got to fan into the flame and to, to burn hot for the Lord to use the gifts that God has given us or else why, does he, why did he give them to us in the first place? We've got to use them for his glory. We've got to become that, that burning, raging fire for Jesus that he can use us. And man, it's, it's an impressive thing to see somebody when they are filled with the Spirit, and they were using and utilizing the gift that God has given them. Man, it's an amazing thing to see God on display with it for his glory. And so this is what he said to him. He says, I, I remind you to fan into the flame, <coughs> for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so what do we need to do to fan into the flame? We need to realize that we got to overcome our fears by relying on God's power and not our own. See, fear, that word fear is, is sometimes translated cowardice 
or timidity, a spirit of timidity or spirit of fear. See, so often many of us, we're, we're afraid, we're, we're scared, we're timid to use those gifts. We're like, I don't know if, if I have what it takes, right? I don't know if I can really step into those, those moments. I don't really know if, I, if I'm ready. Um, so many of us, we sit and soak in the chairs of faith because we sit on the sidelines because we're afraid to get into the game. It may, it may cost us. It may cost us a little time. It may cost us a little prestige or what people may think about us. We, our fears come into mind, and so we, we, we allow our flame just to, to, just to die down to a, just a, a low ember because we're not fanning into the flame, the gift, because of our fears. Timothy was a, a timid person. We, we see Paul encouraged the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16 to, to set him at ease and to not despise him. He was, a, he was afraid that, man, if they were too harsh with him or too, too uh, aggressive with him, he, he would just kind of cower and, and, and not teach the word like he needed to. Um, <clears throat> he, we even see in 1 Timothy 4 uh, that he was encouraged to, uh, to not let others look down on him because he was young, but to set a, an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. See, fear doesn't come from God. But from the flesh, fear keeps us focused on what, on only on what we can do. Faith keeps us focused on what God can do. See, Paul knew this. We, we see Paul, he understood this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said this of himself. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. This is what Jesus was saying to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, that's what we need to understand. Sometimes when we're weak, that's, that's when we're at our greatest. Because that's when God's power can be on display because we got to overcome our fears and realize it's not about what I can do. It's not about what I have the ability to do. It's about what the spirit inside of me has the ability to do through me. It's not about me. It's about him. So how powerful is he? How amazing is he? I got to let him be on display and to shine forth in my life and to not cower, to not be afraid, to not hold back because of what it may cost me or what, what, what I, do I have the ability to do this? No, you don't. He does. And so we got to let go and let God and let God shine through you. Let God use you. This is what Paul was trying to say. Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear or timidness. He gave you a spirit of love, of power and self-control. <clears throat> let the flame be released in your life. That's what God wants us to hear today. And so he says this. This is the, the spirit that God put in us, uh, the power. This is the first word, the, the, the dunamis. This is the, the dynamite power that God has put in us. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you know how powerful you are? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Come on. Man, you're powerful. You're powerful, not because of what you can do. It's not your own strength, your own muscle, but you have Jesus inside of you. The same power that overcame the grave lives in you. You have that power in you. Are we using it? Are we allowing God to shine forth in and through us? No, because we're afraid. We're fearful. We're, what if he doesn't show up? What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? We, we get nervous. But God didn't give us a spirit of timidity or fear or cowardice. He gave us a spirit of power. It's not our power to do our bidding. It's his power at work in us to do his will. And so that's why we've got to understand and what we've got to realize is that we don't have to worry if God's going to show up because it's his will. And if we're trying to go out there and say, oh, I got Jesus to power me. I'm going to go out to Lake Louisville and say, Part and we're you know, be like, it's not going to work. That's our bidding. God doesn't need that to happen. But when He's going to call us to do His will for His glory, for His purposes, we can trust 
that he's going to show up. This morning, when I was praying right down there, I was going, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to look like a blubbering fool. I need you. I don't have a thing that you guys need to hear. But Jesus does. And he has some things he wants to say. And so I'm trusting in him even now to speak, to shine forth, to say, let his power come forth through me. But then he says, love. We've got to to love. It's that word agapeo. That's the, the, the unconditional, powerful love of God that is in us. What is power without love? Um, 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clangle. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions and feed to the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So we've got to have love associated with our power. It's not just enough to have power, but we've got to have love. See, see, if, you know, the circumstances that here where, where Timothy was going into persecution, T- Timothy was going into places and teaching places where they didn't really want to hear what he had to say. Now, he's not going to go to those places. He's going to be timid and have fear if there's not love in his heart for the people he's going to share with. If he doesn't realize that Jesus needs to shine forth in this place, He's not going to go. And that love doesn't come from him. It's a love that comes from God. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, as we see in Galatians 5.22. So the Spirit has got to produce love in us so that we can go to the places that God wants us to go and use the power that God's giving us to go in. So we've got to trust that God's going to give us the love that, that we need in our hearts. And then we have self-control. It's the word sophronismos. Um, it's an exercise of prudence, moderation, or self-discipline. It's us understanding that we have to discipline ourselves, that we have to be under control. We've got to allow the Spirit to control us so we don't get centered on us and ourselves or where we want to go and what we want to do, but we allow God to control us or to discipline ourselves. The Spirit-given ability to have yourself under control is a paramount in not letting fear in the flesh take over. So we've got to have self-control. So this is what, G, what Paul was saying to him. He said, don't have fear, but have power, love, and self-control. And when we're overcome by fear and living by power uh, of love and self-control, then we can see this. And we see it in verse 8. It says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he has given us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. Point four is this. We've got to live out the purpose God has for our life. Do you realize that God has a purpose for your life? God has saved you and redeemed you for a reason. He didn't just save you just to save you. It was not just to sit and soak. It wasn't just to come here and and just to be a good person. Christian person that just shows up on Sunday and we do our our diligence and we do our thing. No, this reminds me of of Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 that says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. He didn't just save you just to save you. He saved you so that you can be a witness to the places where you're around. He put within you his spirit 
so that you would be a testimony to those around you. He didn't just save you just to save you. He saved you for a reason because he's prepared a work for you in advance already. There's people that you can reach that I'm never going to be able to reach because he created that work for you. There's things that you're going to be able to do, gifts that you have that you're going to be able to accomplish that I can't do, Mark can't do, others can't do because it's something that God has given you for. He's gifted you for that. And so we've got to live out the purpose. There's a holy calling on our lives and when we sit and soak and we just live in fear, we, we hinder the body of Christ. We don't allow God to become the full body that he wants us to become because we're not all living out the purpose that God has for our lives. And so this is why we can trust in his power. This is why we can trust that God's going to come and he's going to fill us and he's going to show himself forth. Because it says um, it's not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. There's a reason why you live where you live. There's a reason why you work where you work. So you can be a witness there. So you can be a living testimony to Jesus. There's a reason why you have the likes and dislikes and the the giftings and the talents and the the, uh, things that you love for a reason. You're a masterpiece. You're God's workmanship that he created. He created some works for you to do. So it's time we stop letting our flame die out. And we start fanning that flame and using that gift and allowing God to use us. We've got to become disciple makers. We've got to let become the Pauls that are reaching the next Timothys. Those Timothys are now reaching the next ones. We've got to become these disciple makers. Uh, we've got to have this sincere faith and let this faith turn into allowing us to use our gifts for the Lord, that we have that sincere faith. So we say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put to use what you've put in me for your glory. And overcome our fears. And be overcome with faith. So that we can live out the purpose that God has for us. So my question that I have for us as we close today. Is what are you afraid of? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from living out the purpose God has for you? Do you have a circumstantial faith right now that's just kind of just kind of hanging on? I'll, I'll follow Jesus as long as it serves my purposes, but don't ask me to do anything more. Don't, don't call me to the deep waters. Don't, don't call me to, to step out of faith, step out of my comfort zone where, where there is no trust. There's no borders to my trust. I, I got to just be, as long as you kind of operate right in here, I'll, I'll trust you and I'll follow you. No, we don't need to have a circumstantial faith. We need to have a sincere faith that says, Jesus, wherever you go, whatever you do, I'm following you. Not because I have some kind of ability in me that's just in my own flesh. No, I have you. And that's the only way that I can step out in faith is because I know you live in me. And so it's going to be your power, not mine. It's going to be your love, not mine. So God, give me that self-control and let me put my fears aside. Let me put my doubts away and trust in faith and walk where you want me to walk, to have the conversations you need me to have, to not be afraid to step out in faith. Where's God calling you to step out? Where are the, th- the places that you've, you've kind of turned your eyes away from or try to ignore that God's been saying to those things to you for a while. What are the things God's been speaking to you, God calling you to, the, the waters of faith that he's been calling you out on that you've just said, yeah, I'm not quite ready for that. 
What are you afraid of? Find out what your gifts are if you don't know what they are. Find out where to use them. And we have places where you can serve all over this church. Start somewhere. And use the gifts that God's given you. Because that's when you'll live out the purpose God has for your life. The worst team is going to come down.